New to the living healthy lifestyle or a healthy living veteran, this is your place for honest answers. Naturally savvy with registered holistic nutritionist Andrea Donsky and health journalist Lisa Davis. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. Andrea is away today. So glad you're listening. If you've listened to the show before, you've probably heard me talk about my experiences with my mother who was in chronic pain. It wasn't discovered until shortly before she passed away from ovarian cancer uh, that she had fibromyalgia. She also had some botched knee surgeries in the early 70s. And as a child, I remember her icing her knees, doing her knee exercises, and really bringing ice everywhere she went. She did not have a good relationship with her pain. That might sound funny. Like, what is that? How do you even do that? How do you make peace with your pain? What What am I even talking about? Well, I read a fantastic book that I wish she had had the opportunity to read. It is called The Pain Companion, Everyday Wisdom for Living With and Moving Beyond Chronic Pain. It is by Sarah Ann Shockley, who joins us now. Good morning. Good noon. <laughs> nice to see you. Thank you. <laughs> Nice to be here. <laughs> yeah, yes. Well, thank you for being here. By the way, I love Dr. Bernie S. Siegel. That's fa- he did a fabulous forward. And, you know, I brought up my mother because I don't know if a lot of people have lived with people with chronic pain or people, you know, a lot of people live with it. It was really difficult because there's so much you want to do to help and then to watch the person just struggle. And yeah. this was 70s, yeah. 80s, 90s. There really wasn't a lot other than try this treatment, try that treatment. But talk to us about your approach. And then I want to jump into what happened to you in 2007 with your own uh, chronic okay. pain Okay, yeah. Um, I, I spent a long time, uh, first of all, I started with fighting it, you know, which is what we tend to do. We, mm-hmm. we, we work, we, let's get rid of this. We're in pain. We have to stop it. That didn't work for me. I have a condition, which we can talk about later, but it's, it gets worse sure. the more, um, you are stressed. It's a lot of nerve pain. So, and, and the treatments that I was suggested, you know, all the physical therapies and the things that I was given to do made it worse because I had a very uh, intense version of it. It's called thoracic outlet syndrome. And so after some time with that, about nine months of trying different things and, and realizing each one was, was not helping and actually making it worse, I kind of went to the other end of the spectrum, which was getting very stoic about it, putting up with it. Um, okay, this is what I've been given to live with. I was a single mom. I had to get up every day and keep going. So um, I just kept going. And after about five years of that, I thought, wow, I I can't look down my life and see this as the rest of my life. I'm just going to be stumbling around in pain forever. And But there was no solution. And I had tried some medications. I'm not big on... Um, on using medications if I if I can get away with not. You know, I'm, I'm much more of a person that tends towards the, the natural end of things, but um, I was given some to try because that was part of my um, healing process, considered part of my medical process. I needed to try some nerve pain remedies, and they were, the side effects were just awful. Um, nausea and dizziness and more insomnia. So, and they didn't really do that much for the pain. So I was kind of left to my own devices of what what do I do or what do I not do? And um, after these years and years and years of just living with that, I thought, this is not healing me. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. kind of getting through my days, but the, I'm not getting better. And I was told I wasn't going to get better. It was going to get progressively worse. But that didn't, you know, that didn't work for me. I, I didn't want to accept that as, as really I'm going to look on 
decades of this, decades and decades and decades. And I know there are many, many, there's millions of people right now. There, the estimate is like 25 million people in America alone in the United States that are living with chronic pain right now. And our medical approach is not working. It's not, you know, we're given medications and that's kind of the whole answer we're given. So um, I went, because I couldn't find anything on the outside that was helping me, I, I went to the inside and I thought, well, what can I what can I do? And I could barely move my body. I couldn't use my hands and arms very well. But I thought, well, I can very, very slowly start trying to uh, see what this pain is about, start to express it. So I started writing about it very slowly because it was painful to write. But I thought, mm-hmm. I have written through emotional pain in the past. Can I write through physical pain? And it wasn't so much that writing took my pain away or I'm still working with it, but in writing and in expressing about it, I learned a number of things, and one was that the the fighting the pain wasn't making it better, and in fact, fighting it, getting in that real intense battle mode was part of what uh, made it worse and part of what I felt kept it in place. And The other thing I saw as I was writing and, and, and looking at what was going on for me, and I did this over a couple of years because I could only mm. do a very small amount every day. and and often didn't do it for days and weeks at a time because it was painful to do. But one of the things that became clear to me is that I was living with a lot of distress, a lot of emotional distress about being in pain, and nobody was talking about that. I felt very, very alone in it, very isolated. I, I, I know many, many people in pain do. I felt ashamed of being in pain. Um, again, as a single mom, I, I felt bad about not being able to be a better mom, to be more available to my son to be doing all the things we had planned to do. And my life had basically stopped overnight in terms of my doing this, my ability to participate in, in life in general and work and and be there as somebody who could um, go swimming and go biking and go camping and all the things you like to do with your children. So um, it was it was incredibly intense, and I had not really realized how much was going on emotionally around being in physical pain because the physical pain is so demanding. It's so right up front. It's so much the thing that you feel first. But there's all this other spectrum of things that go on with it, and that's part of what I think keeps it in place is we're not addressing how chronic pain affects the whole person and how we feel about ourselves and how we are in life. Yeah, that is such a good point. I mean, everything you said, I'm completely on board with. And I think, I don't think my mother looked at the emotional side. I mean, as far as I know, maybe she did. I I, I, I can't know for sure. But in part two, the emotional yeah. life of chronic pain, you talk about pain's emotional traps and that we have to less, yeah. lessen the sense of loss, sadness, guilt, and shame. And And you talk about that guilt and shame. And it seems so odd, but it's true. In our society, we're made to put... I mean, we're made to feel badly if we're not, if we're, you know, sick or ill or yeah. just not functioning the way we're, you know, air quotes, supposed to. Talk to us about that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I began to recognize that our culture, our, I would say the, the modern Western culture in general, whatever that means, mm-hmm. but the, the sure. way that I certainly was brought up in and in a lot of us is that we don't show our pain. We don't talk about it. We get over it as quickly as possible. We put it away. We don't burden others with it. Um, 
The more you look at it, the more you express it, the more you feel it, the worse it's going to be, which actually turns out to be a paradox that, in fact, that isn't the way it really turns out. If When we deny it, when we push it away, when we refuse to feel it at all, and I'm not saying we can't mitigate the pain. There's, you know, when pain is really acute, sometimes we have to mitigate it with medications, of course, to just sure. function. But, but when our entire approach to pain is that it's bad, it's the enemy, stop it, don't go there, we're not left with a whole lot of options for how to be with it in a positive healing manner. Um, we get right immediately into that sort of battle zone mode, and we're facing off with pain. And if it worked, that would be great. But we're finding out that that approach, in fact, works very, very badly that people are stuck in pain, uh, millions and millions of people. So, um, and we we physicalize, I know it sounds, again, it, it, a lot of these things are, we're so not used to thinking them in this way, of the, at them in this way. Pain is physical. When we when we have physical pain, yes, it's physical, it's in the body, but there are, it, it, there are emotional aspects to it. And when we only say it's a medical condition only, and of course, yes, we have to treat the medical aspects of it, however that looks. But when we say, well, you have a pain in your left knee and that's what's going on for you. And yet we find out that our whole bodies are affected by that. We find out that we feel bad about feeling, you know, in pain. We feel bad that we can't function, but nobody's talking about that. And we feel very, very alone in those feelings. Then often like your mom, we we don't necessarily recognize we're in them. We don't know if she did or she didn't, but we're not encouraged to, to see that. It's not It's not right. considered part of the pain package. It's just, no, no, it's just your knee. So, you know, that's that's what we're dealing right. with. And yet that doesn't seem to be helping everyone um, to just keep it in the very narrow kind of medical physiological spectrum. It, it kind of spreads out and affects the whole person. And a lot of people in pain, it's like we walk around in an aura of pain. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we can feel people at a distance because we're so sensitive, like, whoa, don't get too close because if you touch a certain part of me, that's going to set my pain off. Or we just feel not great all the time. It's almost like constantly having jet lag or the flu or, you know, there's there's all these other things that go with it. Plus, we're under a tremendous amount of stress um, and a lot of fear comes with it. And you had mentioned the shame of being in pain. and um because our culture, and I kind of bring this full circle to what we started with here, sure. because our culture is so anti-pain, you know, so much, it's not that we want pain, of course, that's not the other side of being, you know, of it necessarily, yes. but because we're afraid of it, we don't want it, we can't have it, it's not allowed, then we we don't have a way of being with it differently. And when we're in it, we feel like not only is it wrong, it must be wrong to be in pain, but we must be wrong. If we can't heal it, there's something wrong with us, we feel. And in fact, we're made to feel that way often by our doctors who stop believing us after a certain length of time. You can't be in pain that long, we're told. Well, yeah, you yep. can. You can be in pain for many, mm-hmm. many years. And it and it doesn't mean you're not trying. It doesn't mean you're not doing all the things you're supposed to be doing. It doesn't mean you're wrong. It doesn't mean you're a failure. Um, and people, you know, this goes both in the allopathic community of, traditional ways of healing pain, but also in the the non-traditional alternative ways and the new age ways. If you're not getting better, there's just different ways of saying you're wrong. You're in denial or you're not accepting your spirit fully or or if you're Christian, you don't have enough faith in God. As far as I can tell, they're all ways of saying you 
the person in pain are failing. You're failing as a patient. You're failing as a person. You're not out of pain yet. What's wrong with you? And it's sometimes it's very overtly said by people around you, like, you know, come on, haven't you tried this? Haven't you tried that? Why aren't you doing more? Why can't you get up today? That kind of thing. And sometimes it's not so overt. It's just in the atmosphere all the time. And we feel really bad about feeling bad. We feel very ashamed of ourselves, which adds to that burden of being in pain. It's a vicious circle. No, it really is. You know, in the chapter, uh, Guilt and Shame, and you do this in all the chapters, which I love, After you, you have different points, and then you talk about them. And at the end, you have a summary, uh, and this was for guilt and shame. You are not wrong for being in pain. You are not on anyone's timetable. Drop the guilt about needing help. Make lists of people you can call on, ask for help clearly and honestly, and then you have some more. And I, I think it's so important. And it's, you know, when we're talking about this, it makes me think of people with mental health issues. You know, there's such a stigma. Mm -hmm. People will say to people who have depression, well, just get up out of bed. You've been in bed long enough or why aren't you doing more? I mean, there's, I don't know why we can't just embrace people and say, where are you? Let's work with you where you're at and let's try to help without putting these weird, you know, (laughs) expectations on people. Well, you're so right because it goes right into, it goes into any kind of pain in our culture, whether Mm -hmm. it's mental pain, whether it's emotional pain, whether it's physical pain, it's not okay to have it. Of course, we don't want to have it. Of course, of course. But we're humans. We're in human bodies. We're, We're not perfect. We're not made perfectly. You know, I mean, we can say God or somebody made us perfectly. We can say that. But the truth is we're, we're in a very imperfect state. We're, 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 our bodies fall apart. We meet things, we meet pain on the road of life. And and maybe that's part of the the setup. Maybe that's just how it is to be human. That we meet pain, and and what we gain by that, or what we we learn by that, is how we meet it. You know, how do we meet pain? That's yeah. the question. Not whether we're going to meet it. And and when we meet it, do we just label it as bad? Uh oh, I did something wrong. This is a mistake. Or do we say, oh wow, I've met pain on the path. I did not want to have to meet pain. I don't like it. Let's admit all that. Yes, you know, you don't have to pretend that it's a great thing, but to say, okay, it's here. It's not what I wanted, but here it is. How can I work with it? What is it trying to tell me? After all, pain is indeed a messenger. It's a signal from the body. If it's a emotional pain, it's a signal from some part of you. In fact, even physical pain is also, it's a signal of a part of you that is hurting, that needs help, that needs attention. And what we are taught to do, what we tend to do is, is kill it. You know, we try to kill yeah. that, that signal, that part, you know, we, it's like, get rid of it, stop it now, put it out, like put out mm-hmm. the fire. And it, there's a reason that's not working, I think. And I think the reason that's not working is pain has a message. Pain has shown up for a purpose. And sometimes the purpose may be very direct and very obvious, like move away from that hot fire or whatever it is, you know, or, or move away sure. from that person. And then the pain ends and you're done. But when the pain doesn't end, it seems to me there's still something to be learned. There's still something that we need to know. There's still something we need to meet. And sometimes it's very deep within ourselves. Sometimes it's not a very easy thing. But it might be asking for, and one of the things I say is to ask pain what it's asking for. What do you need, pain? Right. Which is not our normal response. We're not taught to do that with pain. We're taught that if you give pain attention or you give it anything, it will just get worse. And I found actually the opposite is true. If you give it the appropriate attention, kind of like if it's a little kid, you know, pulling on your pant leg and you don't just right. shoo it away. It's not going to take care of it. You get, you get down, you say, okay, <laughs> what, what do you need? 
And and we were not taught to be with pain that way. We're we're supposed to punch pain in the face, but pain is actually part of us, and it's part of us that's hurting. And if we can make that shift in our awareness and go, oh, oh wow, or even think it's a small part of me, it's a smaller, it's some part of me saying help, you know, oh, okay, no wonder it's screaming so loudly. I haven't been listening. And not again, not to feel guilty about it, just to go, okay, let's be different. Let's be different with this. What if I turned toward pain and I said, what, what can I do for you today? That's really different. And that in itself, not only does it bring up different ideas about how to be with pain, it opens the mind up to different ways of healing, but it also allows the body to relax. We're not clamping down so hard on it when we just go, oh, it's here for a purpose. All right, let's find out what that is. Um, it, it helps the breathing relax more. You know, it has actual immediate physiological effects. But I also liken, um, and you mentioned too, the the mental and the the emotional pains that you know we're, we kind of treat all pain the same way, which is stop. That's, that's the only answer right. we have to any kind of pain. Stop it. Um, <laughs> and it's not, you know, it doesn't doesn't work so well. So, you know, I when when I talk about physical pain, sometimes that's harder for people to imagine. Well, of course you want to stop the pain. Yes, 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 yes. Of course we do. But the way we're going about it seems to be actually prolonging it. So I liken it to when somebody's grieving, and the and they've lost someone dear to them, and they're in deep grief. And our response has often been to stop grieving. You know, don't right. don't talk about the person. Hurry up, get back into life. Don't, no, 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 don't. Oh my God, they're starting to cry. Stop them from crying. You know, um, get them busy. Get them busy. Distract them. When actually we're beginning to realize, oh, the way you get through grief is to get through grief. The way you get through it is to right. be in it, to feel it. And what helps the person most is to let them talk about the person that just passed. To go into it. To be there with them. To to let them feel that what they feel and to to let them have their wonderful memories and laugh and cry at the same time. And then that, it's not that grief doesn't still take a while to get through. It does, but it, but it's a more graceful healing way to move through it. So when I talk about that, that sometimes helps people understand what I'm talking about in terms of chronic physical pain. It's like that. We need to sometimes talk about it. We need a, an ear to listen and not try to tell us we're wrong or, or why don't you try this or can't you do that, but to just be with us in it. And and right. let us tell our story, and I do recommend that, you know, talking about pain in a constructive way, not in the pity me way and uh, the list of symptoms way that we have to talk to doctors that isn't really necessarily very helpful to us, you know, for us. But in the, in to find a compassionate ear and to tell the story of not just the physical symptoms, but how does it affect you? How do you feel about it? You know, what's it been like? How lonely has it been? And we're scared of doing that because we think it's going to make it worse, but actually it's really a relief. It's incredibly healing to be able to express that and to maybe if you have no one one to talk to, to write it out and then read it back to yourself, to mirror yourself, which is what I did, and found it incredibly relieving. Like, oh, wow, this has been really hard. doesn't make it better than it was, but it allows you to witness yourself in it. And it allows you to acknowledge where you've been. And there's something in that that is quite healing and really important. And especially because our culture doesn't recognize our pain. Um, It's important for us to have it seen and recognized and in a way honored before it will move on. Part of what I've found. And again, counterintuitive, not what we're taught to do at all. Very different. Well, that's. 
Right. Well, that's one of the reasons I love your book so much. And I feel exactly the same way about grief. I recently lost my best friend from childhood and she was, she and I were still really close Uh and it's been really hard. I I've been in grief and I've been in and out of, you know, feeling okay. And and the other day my daughter said, you don't seem that sad about Colleen anymore. And I'm like, oh no, I am. It's just, you know, you go in, in phases, right? It's really interesting, but people have to, to, it's waves. Yeah. They have to let you, you mentioned loneliness. And I know this was something that, you know, was going on with my mom, although she spent a lot of time on the phone with her friends. Um, But I don't think they really wanted to hear about the pain or the problems. I think she just liked to chat and to have company. Um, But one of the things that's so important, and you have these great antidotes to isolation and loneliness. Uh, One of them is don't cut yourself off, organize regular visits, try alternative avenues for socializing, use nature solace. Practice positive presence. What does that mean? Well, I discovered, uh, thank you so much for bringing this up too. It's so important because so many people feel absolutely isolated and alone. And it's a natural response because there you are in your pain. I mean, that's a true thing. We're we're kind of all in our pain by ourselves in that way. Nobody's feeling our pain. And yet, um, because we can't participate as we used to because of the pain, because of our condition, whatever limits that sets on us, we tend to, and because of the the lack of acceptance in the outer world there of people in pain, you know, we, we're not supposed to show it, we tend to withdraw and pull in and just not go out. And one of the things that I found myself doing was not only that, um, so, sort of like you hide to lick your wounds, you know, and Mm-hmm. We hope it's going to be over soon, but when it goes on and on and on, we we're losing our life to pain when we do that, and um, we can begin to feel even more cut off from from life and even more cut off from ourselves um, because we're not participating. We're we're not doing the things that we love to do, even in small ways. And I found that I was thinking without realizing it that I was going to just do this until the pain went, and then I could rejoin my life. Then I could have life again. But the pain went on for years and years, and it's, I've, I'm still in it. It's way better than it was, but still, you know, I'm still dealing with it. So I would, um, part of practicing positive presence is finding ways to re-engage with life in the smallest ways if you have to. To not cut yourself off completely, because that's where we get into that sense of hopelessness and despair um, and that terrible isolation and loneliness. So even if we're not talking about our pain, even if people don't know what we're going through, to what well, I thought of it as throwing lines back out into the world, you know, find a way to reconnect with the world. And sometimes it has to be really small if you're very, very limited in what you could do. So sometimes it's just kind of coming out of yourself a little bit, even though you're still in pain, and connecting with whoever's there in front of you. If it's connecting with your child, connect with them. Be very present with them instead of, you know, pulling, oh, they don't want to, I don't want to inflict my pain on them. Well, they still need you, whether you're in pain or not. They want you. And so however you can be with them, even if you're just sitting next to them watching something that that's all you can do is watch a movie with them, which is often what happened with my son. I couldn't even play board games. You're still with them. And just make that awareness of people still need you and people still love you and people still want you to be there. And no, you can't be there in the way you used to be, but to, to be as present as you can when you are with people. And that may be very limited and that's okay. Just be, you know, 
Remember to be as present in your own life as you can. That could include the person at the checkout counter when you go grocery shopping. You know, just make a little conversation. It, it helps remind you, and this may sound strange, but if you know listeners are in pain, they'll get this, that you are still in life. You're still alive. Right. You're still here. And, and you still have something to contribute. You can offer a smile to somebody and that can help them in their day. And just knowing that you're offering something to someone else who still has something to offer, even if it's just a kind word and a smile, can be hugely healing. It, it helps you kind of, it, those are the kind of lines you kind of throw them out and hook and you can pull yourself out of that well of, of despair and depression by doing many of those little things in a day. You know, I, I, there's still so much more to talk about. You're going to have to come back because there's still part three meditative, uh, excuse me, meditative approaches to physical pain. But it's really funny yeah. when you were talking. I, I, for, I hadn't thought about this in years, but it like flashed in my brain how me and my brother and sister would be out in the backyard with my dad and my mom and dad's bedroom window was like right above that. And I would look up and her curtains would be drawn and she rarely came out. And just like, you know, they didn't think, I guess, like they didn't have the right chair or she wouldn't be comfortable or she wouldn't, you know, I feel like nowadays there would be more allowances. And back then it's like, well, she feels crappy. She's just going to, you know, she and she kind of made her room her cocoon. It was like this safer zone. But then it kind of cut us off. We were very cut off. It was really hard. So I'm so grateful for your book. Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. important. It's so important for for if she could have known. And for all of us who are in pain, that we are we are still loved. We we don't feel right. ourselves. We don't feel like we have enough to offer back. But people miss us, you know, when we pull away like that. And and yeah, it's hard for them to see us in pain. And we may have to talk to them and say, hey, you know, I'm not feeling, you know, fully myself. I'm not able to participate in the way I used to. But I still want to be with you for this 15 minutes that I can, or whatever it is. I still like to have a cup of tea. I've got 20 minutes of energy. Can we do that? And that's unfortunately kind of on us as the people in pain to sort of educate the people around us. This is what I can do. And will you be there with me in that? And then often people will. They just don't know what to do, a lot of them, too. They don't know how to be with it. But for us to remember to come back out of our rooms, you know, um, may, we may need to retreat to kind of heal, but we to come back out and be with people is really important for everyone. Well, Sarah, you're fabulous. The book is a pain companion. I highly recommend it. Everyday Wisdom for Living With and Moving Beyond Chronic Pain. Sarah, tell us how we can learn more about you and your fantastic book. Well, thank you so much. Um, I have a website called thepaincompanion.com. That's easy to remember. I write a blog, so I, I write about living with pain, you know, positive approaches and, and the things that you might meet and run into. I also have a YouTube channel also called The Pain Companion, so really easy to remember. And I do little one-minute kind of meditative, um, beautiful music, beautiful images, uh, videos for people in pain, just a minute of kind of a reprieve. Um, and so those and those are free. Those are available, and I have resources on my website. And so everyone is invited to come, you know, find me there. And I'm very open to hearing from people. You can get in touch with me and, um, you know, be in contact that way. And um, and of course, there's the book, The Pain Companion, that um, hopefully would be helpful to many. So thank you so much. Really appreciate being on today.
Oh, it's been wonderful. And if people want to learn more about the show, you can go to RadioMD.com. You can check us out on Twitter at Naturally Savvy, at Andrea Donsky, at Health Media Gal 1. That's me with the one. You can also go to It's Your Health with LisaDavis.com and find Naturally Savvy and my other shows and get this book. It really is amazing. Thanks for listening. Stay well. I want to thank our wonderful sponsor, Natural Vitality. Feeling everyday normal stress, occasional constipation, muscle fatigue from exercise, occasional sleeplessness. Well, magnesium is nature's relaxing mineral. Magnesium is needed for hundreds of activities in the human body, which is why it's one of life's most vital minerals. Natural Calm supports your healthy magnesium levels. The highly absorbable water-soluble ionic formula is a multi-award winner and best-selling magnesium supplement in natural food stores nationwide. Natural Vitality's Calm is the anti-stress drink. I love it. I drink it every day. My husband uses it. It's fabulous. It tastes great. So check them out. Go to www.naturalvitality.com.